Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we blast a dead gigums, 1D12 laser bolts at a time. This week, we explore Start Hugs, a game that encourages players to initiate non-intimate physical contact more. A sorely needed source of exploration in the industry. And I, for one, think it's high time we... Oh, oh no, wait, it's like a snarky parody space thing. <sighs> Fine. It's Star Thugs, and it's got problems today on System Mastery. And welcome back. It's System Mastery. I'm your host, Jeff, joined as always by the other host, John. And in fact, that's great that you're here, John, because I have a question for you. Oh, no. How you oh, doing? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Don't ask me questions. That's, <laughs> that's not what we're here for. I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> I'll see you on Movie Mastery. Do not call me. <laughs> I will be in my trailer that I live in. <laughs> yeah, folks, relationship is soured here on System Mastery. We no longer speak to each other directly unless the mics are turned on. Uh, we have a series of intermediaries to send messages to one another. Yeah, and even then, hmm? we uh, we sit back to back, not facing each other. <laughs> I mean, we've been doing that for years anyway, but mostly for, you know, J and O. So, how you doing? <laughs> great. How are you? I'm great. <laughs> Jesus. That's eh, the only way to maintain privacy when you're on the road in a single hotel room. <laughs> when you're on the road. On the road, as we often. In all, a hotel room. As we often <laughs> <laughs> or if we're in one of those cars where there's forward backward seating like a minivan or something oh yeah yeah forward backward seating. if you'll excuse me for a second i need to rotate this captain's chair for maximum jang o <laughs> this this is definitely how we wanted to start this you, you want to start over do we need to do a, a do it do we need to do a hard restart <laughs> press the button on this speaking one? of hard restarts john i feel like it's time for us to reestablish the friendship let's bury this hatchet i just made up Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. All right, great. We're friends yeah, again. We're, we're, we're super pals now. We're back to being super pals. Uh, Kumarsh, or whatever his name was, is no longer my friend. <laughs> uh, good. So uh, this is Star Thugs. This is Star Thugs. Star Man. Thugs is a game that was sent to us in a big pile of games by uh, a very nice donor at one point. It's been sitting on the shelf forever because every time I opened it up, I was pretty sure it was actually like a weird war game. Well, the uh, cover of this game has basically a, like a magazine cover look to it. Yeah, it has a magazine aesthetic. So the whole thing is like it says Star Thugs, the role playing game. But then it's like, oh, are you a snar snarf hawker? Top 10 warning signs. Is your teen? Becoming a Pirate, Hilarious Bionic Mishaps, Part 4, and it's just got a whole bunch of stuff on there. Yeah, so well, basically that's to tell you right away that what you are holding is a parody game. Yeah, this is going to be a jokes game, mm -hmm. so you better be ready for tongues in cheeks. Now, we don't usually like to cover parody games, especially because mostly we're just reviewing someone else's jokes, and the, la the worst thing in the world that could happen to us is if someone did that to us. By the way, uh, our book available now in stores everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's all jokes. I think Please it, leave a review on Amazon. It'll, it'll, it'll be uh, live on Amazon the day that this episode comes out. Woo! So uh, go buy our book. 
Uh, a dragon walks into a bar on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's a joke book, and it's worse jokes than this book. <laughs> Guaranteed. It's, oh, it's way better jokes than this book. Let's be honest That's here. That's fair. That's actually fair. This is a rare situation where I'll be at least a little proud of the book I wrote. <laughs> uh, so you get in, and immediately you it starts with the the tone of the book, because it's got like the what is a role-playing section. It's like, look, if you're holding this... You know what a role-playing game is. Why don't you just skip ahead to character creation already? Mm-hmm. And then it goes into like, hey there, new people. I guess you might be looking at this. and It's like a game, but instead of a computer, you've got yourself. And Yeah. It's it's snarky about it, though. It's like, oh, you've got your friends who kind of stink, and you've got, you got a bunch of weird-looking dice, and you're only going to need one of them for this game. Oh, yeah. He tells you what you see, what you hear, what you eat, and what it feels like when you get a katana ran through your eyeball. At least, when we play, that's what usually happens. Great. Yep. Good. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just because we've read a ton of books. Maybe that's funnier to people who aren't are in our unique position. Who aren't us. Yeah. And the thing is, I read through the beginning here, and I'm going to say, the beginning has a base overview of the setting Mm -hmm. where it'll give you like what's sort of going on with the language what's going on with the laws and like currency and things like that yeah and while it is you know very much that sarcastic tone yeah it's not terrible and it's it's interesting because it's got that kind of you know like you were saying this kind of sass tone to it where it's like hey stupid you're about to learn how to fucking kill aliens or whatever and it's you know it's cute uh, the only reason I haven't kicked your ass yet, listeners, because I don't know your home address, kind of things. Um, but all, but at the same time, it has a weird tendency to kind of go off onto long tangents about how weird sci-fi things work. Because it'll be like, "Hey, credits! Yeah, credits are pretty much universal across the galaxy, stupid." Uh, but incidentally, here's every little intricate detail about how their like magnetic tape that lives inside of little credit cards you carry, and each species has its own version of them, and blah blah blah. Yeah, it's. <laughs> There's a lot of things in this book where you can tell they set out to make a specific type of game, Mm -hmm. and then their own ideas got in the way for several things. Yeah, they keep getting bogged down in minutiae, which it's interesting because it's like, hey, joke, 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 joke. Oh, hold on. That joke actually creates a logical paradox. Allow me to explain for several pages how faster the light travel works. Oh, yeah. Or... Oh, and shields. Shields actually work like this. Let me explain it to you in many pages. And it's interesting. It's not like the way shields work is boring. It's a neat idea. Mm -hmm. You've got essentially just magnetic particles that are uh, driven around your ship. You create magnetic wavy fields around your ship using big old electromagnets and then send out uh, like particulate goop. That, that kind of zips along uh, uh, at hyperspeeds, kind of zips along the paths of the magnetic fields, so that when things get shot at you, they get dispersed or scattered by the goop that's in the way. Yeah, they'll essentially just hit the debris that is being shot super fast all over your ship. Yeah, and that's that a neat that idea. takes the damage, and I'm like, neat. That's it's cool. It's not just energy field. He's like, oh yeah, they've got like a magnetic pulse that whips particulates around okay neat that's cool and it's a neat idea for for how shields work and i liked it and yet you know like you turn the page and it's like by the way sexy alien babes have big weird nipples you're like all right okay this is a very different book (laughs) yeah it's you can tell where 
the bits of the author where he's like, oh, but I actually did want to, like, have ideas for things mm-hmm. come through. And also, a lot of the author's personal politics and <laughs> bits come through and, later on. Yeah, we'll get to those eventually. The book opens with a lot of character creation, first and foremost. I found one of the most interesting things about character creation in this, uh, and we'll get to the most interesting one, which is very unexpected, uh, but I found it interesting. It was like, oh, species doesn't matter. Plays whatever you want. It's it doesn't, oh, yeah. it doesn't matter. When I read that, I was like, wow, how very modern forward thinking yeah. where they're like, any sort of similarities between a species is going to be outweighed by the individuality of any one person. Yeah. So even if on an aggregate uh a society believes in whatever you're playing an individual it doesn't matter yeah now when you go back and you read the species you really you learn that that's because almost all of them are just variations on extra sexy human or irritating little furbo and that's pretty much your only options so there's not you're they're right there's no really big reason to choose one species over another because they're not that interesting uh we will get into the species though the next thing you learn about the ca- the uh, character design is that this isn't really a game where you play as a guy so much as it's a game where you play as the captain of a spaceship and the spaceship. Yeah, one of the most interesting things they do in this is they're like, oh no, it's not just, alright, you're a captain and you're an engineer and you're a whatever. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh no, as a player, you have your own ship, your own crew, and you are the captain of it, and every player has their own ship. Yeah, and the idea, supposedly the idea is that everyone's flying around as kind of a fleet. Like yeah. you're a little mercenary get-together or, or you're a pack of pirates or squadron whatever. squadron of fighters, whatever you feel like playing as. And however much you want to get into uh, like any given thing, because everything's point by, you can really drill down into whatever you want to do. Yeah. So uh, there's only like four stats and and those are very broad. They are thuggery, mojo, uh, smarts. I think is one of them. I can't remember the fourth one. Uh, I think it's just like engineering is Character one of sheets them. on the back page of the book. Oh yeah. Uh, so thuggery. Where? Oh, that's the starship data. Thuggery, duggery, diggery, do piloting, engineering, mojo. Okay, pilot and engineering, mojo, and thuggery. Uh, so I was wrong in the first place. Smarts isn't even in there. No. Uh, but piloting is, is the one that's the most obvious on the tin. It's how good you are at piloting your ship. Uh, and it's a very important one because it's the only one that you're all, you're going to roll every single turn for the entire game forever. Uh, thuggery is all your violence stuff. So it's your ability to take punches, deal out punches, basically do violence. Engineering is obvious. Yeah. Uh, but it also is any kind of engineering and not just starships. So anything you're fixing, building, anything like that. And then Mojo is an interesting skill in the or stat in that you can use it a lot of the time to make up for any other stat. Well, I mean, they use it sort of generically kind of like charisma, but also as like a almost a catch-all luck type stat as well. Exactly. It's your ability to react under pressure in way like it's improvisation as well as charisma effectively. Right. Uh, and then, it, it, since you're a captain, you also have a fifth stat you need to pay attention to called spiffiness points. Well, it's not really a stat. You just have points. There's points, but no one else you has can them. Spend. Captains have spiffiness points, and no one else does. Uh, they let you... Well, let's talk about the mechanics at some point here, too. Uh, stats generally range from one to six, 
or from zero to six, excuse me. Yeah. It's okay to have a zero in a stat. It just means you don't have aptitude in that field. And it doesn't mean your ship's going to be destroyed because every ship's got crew. So if you're like, hey, I have zero in engineering, it's just because your captain has no interest in that. And hopefully you've decided to take on some engineer crew to patch up your shortcomings. Yeah. At that point, you can just be like, oh, I bought a engineering three crewman and he even comes with some engineering powers that he can do mm-hmm. like the game says right off the bat when you're making characters and doing stuff that this is heavily influenced by ccgs and it is it's exceedingly influenced by uh like basically magic yeah because everything you have is pretty much a power that you can use once by bending it well obviously because wizards of the coast has a copyright on the term tap in terms of game rules yes uh so just like every single ccg that came out around the time that uh magic was big they're like what is this it's turning it it's bowing it it's yeah it. is the best one with its bowing mechanic yeah so in the same way if i've got an engineer crew and they have an ability to, for a turn, to make my shields way better. Mm -hmm. Then during that turn, I would tap them, use their ability, and then they're used for that round. Yeah. And if you, as the captain, you can have a bunch of skills and maneuvers and so can your ship. And to activate those, it'll give you a list of the number of stats it needs to activate it. And you need to bend enough crew or your your captain uh, to activate those abilities that round. And then everybody unbends at the end of each round. And the spiffiest point for the captain is unique in that you can spend that to unbend the captain. Yeah, you can always unbend the captain, uh, and you gain a spiffiness point at the beginning of and end of every combat. So you you'll always have at least one every combat. Yeah. Uh, Usually, actually, I think you always have at least two because you gain one at the end of each combat, and then also at the beginning of each combat. So you should always have two at the start. Yeah, it's it's interesting and. I mean, it's the one way where they were really like, well, this makes it so that the captain is particularly special, because honestly, you could spend like a lot of points just going into crew and be like, oh, my captain's some idiot, but my crew's rad. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, because the whole game is point by and you don't really need to invest that heavily in your captain before you're allowed to just go start spending money on crew. And you can turn the points you get to spend on your character into more money if you want to. You can start the game with a moron captain with a with a hyper competent crew if if that's what you felt like doing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not a good idea because the spiffiness point mechanic turns any captain into the real powerhouse of your ship. Oh, yeah. If you it's like building a commander deck that doesn't use the commander. Oh, yeah. You're like, (laughs) oh, I'm just using them for the colors anyway. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm playing False God for five colors just because I had a Rainbow Good Stuff deck. Uh, you'll never see the False God character. <laughs> uh, anyone who doesn't play Magic has no idea what we're talking about, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, so the the general way that things work is you've got stats, you've got maneuvers, and you as a captain have it, your crew has it, your ship has it, mm-hmm. and the way in which they work together, you can either decide to go like, hey, I'm a fucking science ship. I'm just all engineering. I go out into space, and I can do ridiculous dumb nonsense with my ship that you normally wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. Or you could just be like, oh, I'm a warship. Everyone on my ship is 
high thuggery. I've got ridiculous weapons, and all we do is blow people out of the sky. And the, me- do that. the mechanics in this part of the game are are very interesting. I mean, you get a whole bunch. There, there's not that much die rolling you really need to do at the beginning of each combat round. Everyone makes a piloting roll. Yeah, uh, and that determines who goes first, and it provi- provides a few other bonuses as well. Uh, but most combat skills you don't roll on, or you only roll once. Or do I have that backwards? I think I think that, that's right. Because there's this whole thing about non-combat skills using something called the uh, the what's it called the the the, the threshold or something. Yeah the the way you roll for most things is it's d12 based is the system, and when you roll, you have a chance to roll again, but you roll again if you roll low. So you'll have a threshold in something. Usually, it's whatever the stat is. Stack number. It's called the stack number. So I'm if, sorry. I, I knew all this stuff until I read the back of the book, which pissed me off to no end. Oh, yeah. The back, the back half of this book is egregiously bad. Yeah. So, but, yeah. So if your stat is, say, two, and you're rolling something in that, then if you roll a two or less, you will get to roll again. Uh, and then add that onto that, but you never roll more than once. Yeah. So basically, the game wants you to, in a perfect scenario, roll low and then roll high. Yeah. That's that's the best possible way to get a skill roll off. Uh, and stat, it, your stat does inform your stack value, but so do skills. Uh, you can get stack values that are pretty high. There's a point. Like yeah, for, I mean, you can get like above a twelve. You, uh, even then, you can get. You know, just very easily based characters can have in any given thing that they do, like a six or seven to start. Yes. Uh, if you get above a 12 with it, then you just add the additional amount above 12 to the result and then count a 12 as your stack. And that way, the way it works, say you have stack 12 on a like uh, engineering roll, then that just means you add 12 to a D20 or a D12 roll. Or no, sorry, you don't do that. You roll a D12 and then you roll another D12 and then you take both results. That's it. It doesn't matter what the results on either one of them is, because <laughs> 12 is always going to be under your stack value of a possible D12 roll, so you're going to take... It's basically just 2D12 now. Now, the one sort of sad part with this is that the game does have the crit success, crit failure. If you roll a 1, you fail. If you roll a 12, you succeed, mm-hmm. which makes things like, oh, I want to roll low, but not too low or else i get a one and i fail and you get if you get a high enough uh threshold then at that point you're basically just looking at well even if i roll a 12 on the second roll like 13 as a difficulty is supposed to be ridiculously high Mm -hmm. so most of the time if you're like i rolled a two and then i rolled a 12 I succeeded regardless because it didn't matter. Yeah, and a, a stack number of two is worthless. It gives you a one in 12 chance of adding two to your final roll. Yeah. And that's all it does, because if you roll a one, you automatically fail. Yeah, and you don't get to roll again afterwards, so you can't be like, I rolled a two, and then I rolled a two, and then I rolled something. Yeah, there's no exploding stack. It's it's You generates one reroll. Uh, which, again, is neat. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of the exploding die being on the low end because that is a much better feel as a player 
Because if you rolled high and then it explodes, you're like, I already succeeded. What do I give a shit? Yeah. But if you roll low and you're like, oh, I get a second chance. Yeah. No, the stack die is, is cool and an interesting idea, uh, but it doesn't show up as often as you'd hope it would because it only really affects non-combat skills. Combat skills are made just using D12 plus your combat value. There's no stack to them. It's uh, The idea is that when you're in combat, you should be playing a lot faster. And it's going to be a problem for you because... Basically, when it's your turn to go, you can do everything your ship can do before anyone else gets a turn. So it's uh, you, you basically go like, all right, well, it's my turn. Okay, I'm going to have this crew member activate this one of their maneuvers. I'm going to have this crew member. Uh, well, no, you have to do it in turns. Oh, so it goes back and forth? Yeah. Yeah. So each time you go, all right, this turn I will have this thing that I do. Okay. Uh, but it, it, by the same token, you're keeping track of a ludicrous amount of things going on because uh, your ship has facings obviously it's got sockets or slots to it what mounts i believe they're called which is what your ship is made of ships are just modular collections of slots into which you can load things like armor or a weapon or a universal which can take any kind of thing and you have to have the right size of slot to put something in there so if i have a large gun i need a large slot to put it into Mm -hmm. and there are certain things where it's like oh i'm a cool engineer one of my powers is i can put a larger gun than fits in this slot in that slot because i know how to make it work yeah so there are ways you can sort of use your powers to play with things like that and then damage changes the stats of the things that are being hit by it so it's basically a keeping track of numbers game i mean it's definitely one that because it's so heavily influenced by ccgs you would want to have cards for all your stuff because tracking all right did i use this did i use that you'd want to have cards that you could literally just like tap yeah and to keep track of what you've done and what you haven't they suggest that because the character sheets aren't card driven uh they suggest that you keep pennies around and just put pennies on things that are bent at the moment to remind you of what they're bent uh, that they're bent and then and then also i guess potentially have like post-it notes or something to write down why you bent things well i mean it doesn't really matter why you bent them if they're bent because you can't use them for anything after that no that's true uh unless you unbend them somehow which there are lots of devices and and tools and, and maneuvers that unbend bent things most of the, the uh, maneuvers that the crew can get are like that. Like, if you have engineering crew, it's, oh, if if, uh, if you bent a, a crew member to resist damage, you can unbend them this round. Yeah. <laughs> so the game is a lot of, like, it's it's magical magic-style counterplay, where you're like, I'll bend this. I'll force you to bend that with this, because uh, I'll, I'll bend this to bend that. And they go, oh, okay, I'll use this ability to unbend this, so I can, I can bend another thing of yours, and so on. Uh, now, there is also... An interesting rule in this that is just their MOOC rule where... Oh, God, I I actually thought that was kind of bad, but go ahead. Well, you've got the MOOCs and then the Horde. Yeah. And Horde is interesting for the player because it lets you just combine Mm -hmm. crewmen into a thing, and it lets you create essentially a singular more powerful crew Mm. rather than having a couple smaller ones yes because anytime you combine crew if the crew member has a number that's higher than one of the other ones they'll just gain one point in that or up to double if it's high enough so if i had a one and it was a four i'd go to a two uh if i had a zero and i had a one it'd just go to one 
Yeah, uh, I'm thinking of a different thing. You're talking about horde combinations. To yeah, make that's your, what I'm talking yeah, about right better. now. Mook's, there's horde and there's mooks. Yeah, mook is basically the bad guy ships that they don't. You don't. They don't. You they don't, don't have want, facing. They just have hit points. Yeah, you don't want to track them too much. So they're a much simpler ship design. Except instead of just being like, oh, they have ten hit points, and when you get rid of that, they die. Instead, you have all these things where it's like, okay, multiply the engine rating of the ship by five. Anytime you deal one fifth of that amount of damage, the ship loses one point of engine rating and becomes slower. And you're like, this is as complicated as the initial thing. It's just different. Why did you? do this like i understand that you sort of felt like you had to do that because otherwise the ships, ships be pr- yeah are damageable and you can have like oh this facing took whatever and it hit this system so now i lost access to this and if you made it so that like oh mook ships just have 10 hit points and they are perfectly fine at one hit point then it feels there was like, an easier oh, I'm way. I'm being punished for getting hit. There was an easier way to do it because this one gives it like the, the enemy ship like five categories of potential damage that you have to de- determine the numbers and then track as they get knocked down on on variable scales of its hit points. You could have just made one track and been like, when you knock three quarters of the the uh, hit points of the Mook ship off, it gets slower, and when you knock half the health off, it shoots worse. Yeah, and just called it a day and been like, and, and when people point out like, well, what if I want to target the weapons instead? Fine, rotate those two. Don't don't be a problem. I don't, I don't give a shit. It, it doesn't matter, but but it should be simple because these are Mook ships and they're designed to be gone through quickly. Yeah. Uh. Uh. So. So yeah, I mean it's a very very modular game. Uh, you you buy you you assemble your whole ship with your starting twenty five thousand credit dollars. Uh, you buy hire your crew with that. You build your captain with twenty five starting points that you can use to buy uh, the four ratings up. That you can use to buy maneuvers. That you can use to buy uh, special technology that's unique to your ship. So the game is ultra modular and it feels very much like you're kind of building a war game style thing. But then there are a lot of role-playing mechanics that are built into here as well. Uh, you're going to spend a lot of time nego- haggling and negotiating it. At, at, honestly, it's a lot like they had just finished playing Rebel Galaxy. Ugh. And they're like, here, you know what? We don't want to make a game that's about, theoretically, picking up cargo and taking it from one space station to another, but realistically is about shooting broadsides at pirates. Ugh. Yeah, the the ideas of what you would do in this game... Uh, man, once you get to the back, really gets muddied. Because when you first look through this, you're like, oh, I'm probably going to end up being either mercs, bounty hunters, or pirates. Yeah, smugglers is also a potential option, where your your whole thing is trying to get cargo from one place to another. Yeah, I mean, you could run it as being like a Han Solo Firefly type thing. You mm-hmm. could run it as a group of bounty hunters, whatever you wanted to do. Because when they, in the front of the book, when they give you the overview, they're like, here's different types of jobs you could have, here's the different types of things out in the world, and it initially feels very much like, oh, okay, this is going to be sort of a standard, uh, you know, shooting space adventure, you know, not really space opera because it's too jokey for that, but Mm -hmm. definitely a sci-fi adventure yeah, it's basically what if you took, like, say, Firefly or something like that, and we're like, what if this was filmed as a Saturday morning cartoon? Uh, you get That's kind of the feel you get from a lot of the monsters and so on that are in the book. It's interesting because when you read the back, you get this whole, oh, I have kind of a story of how the universe works and everything. You forget parts you read in the front. They're like, oh, here's a list of things that are against the law for the most part in the universe. Uh, here's the fines you and the bounties you would rack up for doing these things. And then you get to the back of the book, you're like, who's making these bounties? Because... Races come down to either I rigorously enforce my own specific laws or we are wacky murder beavers. 
Yeah, I mean, when you have races that are like, what's this? Oh, these are just weird smiley face monsters that Mm -hmm. only care about murder. And you're like, okay, well, if I rip them off, normally stealing would be a bounty of like $1,000. But if I steal from the smiley guys, who are they going to to be like, a bounty on you, sir? Yeah. I mean, I guess they posted in CD bars. But who's going to go to fucking Faceball Planet to hang out with the dark history of Cool Spot? What, the smileys are stupid. Just Let's just put that out there. They're, they're walking happy faces. Yeah. Except they're not happy. They're very mean. Oh, my. And they speak. Well, let's save that for the... <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're, uh, I'm kind of just getting us to the halfway point here with talking about the rules of how the game works. And the moment we hit a half hour, I'm like, okay, time to... It's time, go time. It's go time. <laughs> Now, the other thing is there is the option of psychic powers in this, Mm -hmm. and some races are more apt for certain psychic powers than other, and this is the one point where the game breaks the whole, like, oh, the individual is completely uh, separate. Species have different psionic aptitudes, so yeah, it means if you want to be a psionic character, you do need to think about your species choice. Yeah, that's the only time you it would actually matter. Humans only have access to one psychic potential grouping that no other species has access to. Yeah, now, I like the idea of this. Now, the general conceit when you're going through the beginning of this is they're like, oh, humans have a weird psychic power that links them to essentially the collective unconscious of the galaxy. Yeah. And so a lot of our culture, language, uh, so much of the stuff that we have is actually us just psychically picking things up from other aliens. Now, they make it a mix. It's A lot of it is psychic pickup. Like, it's not all Stargate type, they visited us a long time ago, but there are references to that as well. Well, yeah, they do say like, oh, yeah, you know, some species have come by and actually give a crap. Yeah. Most don't. So the psychic powers that humans have are related to this. They're all things like you have affinities with the universe and, and fate control, and you can understand people more effectively. Uh, they have a, we, uh, Humans have a very nebulous psychic power set. The base ability is just called affirmation, and it's literally just the secret, the power. Yeah, you decide, oh, I want fill in the blank to happen and i use this power and now it is four times more likely to happen at some point and it doesn't matter when exactly and also it's not like the game helps you determine what the starting percentage chance of that thing happening was it's just all dm fiat bullshit so if you're like uh i'd like my character to grow a horn and the dm's like yeah great sure there's a 0.01 percent chance of that ahaha there's a 0.04 percent chance of that yeah (laughs) the (laughs) The problem with a lot of that, uh, the human psychic stuff, is there's no, there's no meat in there. It yeah. is a lot of just, what is this? Oh, you kind of can figure out like the rules of a place when you go there just because you pick up on things. Mm-hmm. All right, but what does that do mechanically? <laughs> now, other species are going to get things like telekinesis or straight up like shooting bolts of ectoplasm kind of yeah, stuff. They'll have you know, telepathy and mm-hmm. actual psychic powers that you might act, you know, give a damn about. I found that psychic section kind of interesting because it comes right after the language section in the book, which is, again, like you we were mentioning earlier, the, lang- the, the book tends to go off on these sort of like 
world building rants where it'll stop joking for a second to give you a long diatribe about something or other. And the language one is like, oh, yeah, uh, humans, because of their psychic resonance, think they speak languages that they made up themselves. Like, for example, we think that we derived English from Latin, but we didn't. We derived it from space aliens. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, then what the fuck is Latin derived from? You, you different space you aliens? <laughs> we never t- we never talk about where that came from exactly. It has to be a similar space alien because there's a lot of Latin root words in English. Yeah. The, <laughs> the thing with English is they were like, oh, this isn't even one singular language from a species. The whole point of English is it's the... It's the trade language. It's, it is one of the two like galactic languages yeah it's the country mouse one because the other one's the high class city mouse one that we don't get to speak yeah there's metallic which is the like formal rules very specific like everything has a specific meaning there's no variations on whatever and then there is hick which is what we speak where everything is fluid and you take stuff from every language i declare the floodgates open john all right, man. Let's talk about why this language thing starts to fall apart right away. Uh, they mentioned that most languages that are spoken on Earth are actually derivative languages from other species. For example, if you ever felt like German is kind of a guttural, shouty language for mean people, that's because it's the official native language of the Smileys, who are, again, a race of psychopathic happy faces that have legs and arms. They basically just look like evil cool spots. Yeah, and they <laughs> they go on... To be like, and uh, the only language that nobody has seen elsewhere, and what most people believe to be native Earth, is Chinese. Okay, and once again, for the second time that we've had to have this conversation on this show, Chinese is not a language. No, that's like saying, ah yes, you speak African. Yeah. China is a massive country that has three official languages and dozens of unofficial ones. Yeah, just, you know, gonna throw that out there. (laughs) Also, they didn't capitalize Chinese, but they did capitalize German. I'm assuming that's a typo. Mm. I would prefer to think of it as a typo. I mean, but then I would again, like there's, to. There's a lot of situations in this book where I'm not going to give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I'm going to be meaner to this than you're you're going to think I should be. Uh, it's what's, what's about to happen. I mean, more than the audience. I don't know more than I think it should be. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so that's just the first thing we get into. Now, notably, uh, that is not the case for the psychic powers, which are not named in Hick. They're named in Japanese for some reason. They never really tell us what Japanese is in, in space, but certainly all the psychic power categories are called things like Isekai and, and Hengeo Judo, Hengeo Judo and stuff like that. So they're words that have kind of Japanese root construction, even though they're, they're nonsense words. Uh, and they don't explain why that is or what who's naming all these psychic power groupings. Yeah, I mean, the I know they say at one point that Japanese is some aliens' language, mm-hmm. so I I don't know why they would decide that's what we would pick psychic power names from, but whatever. It, it's fine. It, it Ultimately, it's just one more weird piece of this game's crazy puzzle. Uh, you may ask yourself, when is this set in the history of time? And it's set right now. It's a twenty, a 21st century game. Uh, the world of star thugs is happening all around us. Uh, and a lot of human governments know all about it. 
but they have determined, apparently rightly, that Earth is in a backwater shit part of the galaxy, and so it's not worth it for us to try to enter into trade relations or anything like that with other species nearby, because the other species nearby suck. Yeah. We, there are three regions of uh, the galaxy that mm-hmm. are mapped out, and the one region that Earth is in is full of the worst. Yeah. I think there's four, technically, but one of them is just used well, as Well, one isn't mapped. Yeah, there's it's Antares Sector is the one that's not mapped, and it's just where they're fighting the big bugs. Yeah. But you also have Lyra, which is kind of the they're up-their-own-asses, space elves, egalita- ultra-law-driven future place. Uh, Vega, which is like pleasure planets. Uh, Orion Sector, which is backwater shit farms and also Earth. And then Antares Cluster, which is just used for robots versus bug fights. Yes. Um. So the things that are found in our cluster are the smileys, which are just hyper aggressive dirt bags that don't explain that no one can figure out why they're doing what they do. They just take over planets, ruin them, and then move on to take over other planets. Yeah, their whole thing is that they are very resistant to toxins and things like that. Mm-hmm. So their home world is just a garbage planet that they're like, oh, yeah, until it gets to the point where it's so toxic, even they can't live there, and then they'll probably go conquer something else. Yeah. So effectively, humans, a lot of humans anyway, are fully aware of what's going on in space, and several humans have left Earth and are now part of the spacefaring culture. But Earth itself is intentionally kept in the dark uh, about all the space stuff that's going on out there, because why introduce ourselves to our local neighbors when they're basically the Hills Have Eyes-style mutant dirtbags? Yeah. Now, the first race that you actually get when you get to the what's going on in the galaxy well that's alphabetical so it's the Athelesians or whatever oh no it's the narksplosh oh right you're right i'm sorry the narksplosh yeah okay it, it starts by sector yeah and the narksplosh are the first race they go into and they are rapists oh god okay so the narksplosh are basically a tentacle porn joke writ large a lot of these races are basically a something joke writ large um, the problem is, they're like, oh, the Narksplosh are weird, blobby tentacle monsters, and everyone thinks they're ugly. And those are all the males. The females, however, are bipedal women who just look like the Asari. They literally look like the Asari from Mass Effect. They're, yeah. they're blue, and they've got, like, kind of tentacly hair. Uh-huh. They're the Asari. And they're like, oh, yeah. And the Narksplosh pretty much have to rape their way across the galaxy or else they'd never have sex. Well, it's noted that they, it's not like they, it's the only way they can reproduce is rape. It's its that they are in cra- intensely always crazy horny. And so all of their decisions are made by them being so horned up, you guys. So all of their space policy and so on is about tricking hot human females into sleeping with them. Uh, it has too much of a section on them about basically just rape yeah they're just they're just tentacle rape monsters they can build robot suits that are bipedal that they can hide in uh, and that's how they do most of their seducing is by being like yeah i'm just this dude in a robot suit i'm actually quite attractive in here why don't you come up to my place and i'll turn into fucking krang from the ninja turtles and we'll get busy uh and they're responsible for tentacle porn being a thing on earth so here's a stupid story they have a they've invented a automaton which is a human uh, that cannot be detected by any means that humans have access to. And they have sent these automatons to Earth to seed the Earth to be interested in Narksploshes. So they're the reason that there's tentacle porn, which, by the way, the book will you, you only 
ever call hentai tentacle porn. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what that's about, but it's because the sure. author had only it, maybe 18, 19 years old and thought that that was the funniest thing in the world. Maybe seen a Rotsuki Isi Doji Legend of the Spirit Over Fiend or whatever like once. It was like, ha ha ha, tentacle porn. Ha 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 The other problem with the automatons is their whole thing is they're supposed to be able to have children with humans. They're mm-hmm. that like complex of a construction yeah and the automatons are made to be subservient yes and they are hoping that they will breed subservience into the human race so that they can come down and have their way with our women so hey john let me ask you a question here Uh uh-huh uh let me just let me just ballpark an idea for you yes sure go right on ahead just throw it out okay here we go one two three why don't they fuck the automatons (laughs) hey that's an interesting idea you've had there and i don't know (laughs) they have if they can build perfect fuckable humans fuck them (laughs) i feel like i'm cheech marin (laughs) Uh, we've got robot pussy yeah no the the entire thing where they're like oh yeah we have to be gross rape monsters but we also came up with sex bots you're like but uh, hand. I, I got my hand raised, teacher. Please call on me. Uh, yeah. Uh, no. Uh, any questions that are not about why they don't just fuck the robots? All the hands in the room. <laughs> uh, so the now, nar- the the Narcs females, however, are man haters, and instead of being the men are all rapists, then the women are all hyper feminists mm-hmm. and. There's one time every three years where they need sex. They just need specifically a deep dickin'. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Once every three years or so, doesn't matter how lesbian these les- these space lesbos are. And again, I am not giving this book any benefit of the doubt because it doesn't use that language. No, but it, it is very clearly like, oh yeah, it's a society of women and they only rely on other women and everything's fine with them, but every few years they realize you know what i could really use is a penis mm-hmm. every every couple of years one of them's like hey have you ever seen the movie chasing amy <laughs> uh, <sighs> and the other one's like no why would i watch a kevin smith movie fuck you <laughs> uh so so yeah basically they they work as a joke about women's liberation and also a joke about vulcans because every couple years they go into a pawn far where they just gotta have a dick, yeah. and maybe they'll maybe they'll go to Narcsplosh and deal with one of their stupid because uh, they don't even live on the same planet. No, they are a different planet because they all got fed up with Narcsplosh males and mm-hmm. moved out. Yeah, they abort any infants they're going to have that are Narcsplosh males if they can get away with it. Narcsplosh males are mostly grown in test tubes. Yes. Uh, now every couple they might go to Narcsplosh and participate in orgies with the males. They may find some randy. Sp- space smuggler to sleep with instead yeah it's that's the first species so that's that colors your your view of what's to come oh yeah because you get through the mechanics and you're like this is interesting it's a little clunky but i can see what they're going for here i could play this this is kind of a fun tabletop uh, battleship simulator you're like oh neat okay yeah if you're if you're someone who likes a crunchy game i can definitely see getting into this right tentacles yeah and then the first species you come across is these guys like to rape and you're like oh okay i get it now 
So after them, it kind of calms down a little bit. We talk about the smileys next, and the smileys, again, are literal walking around happy faces with the stupidest art you've ever seen. Yeah, it. I mean, it's just a smiley face, but the smile is all sharp teeth. Yeah, and he's got a, a big old gun in his hands. Yeah. His big cartoon Mickey Mouse hands. Ugh. Um. But then after that, it kind of settles into a rhythm. Every other, most of the other uh, planets are like, what lives here? Someone who looks like humans and uh, they have a sense of rugged individualism or they have one trait that's kind of weird about them. Yeah, they're like, oh, these guys have the unique distinction of never having killed each other over a misunderstanding. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it turns out it's not because they thought they were telepathic until any other species landed on their planet. I don't remember what that species is. What we're talking uh, about. The scurvy. The scurvy. The scurvy's whole thing is that they can't lie. They never developed a genetic capability for lying to each other. Yeah, they have no ability to avoid saying what they're thinking, mm -hmm. so they just never have a miscommunication because everyone is constantly telling everyone how they feel. Yeah, it's an interesting idea, but it also kind of makes me feel like this book was written by someone who had been reading a lot of Oivan Thorsby. Hmm. Uh, but then again, that's a mega obscure reference. Uh, just... Let yeah. me run with it. God knows I don't know what the fuck you're talking he, about. He's the dude who writes this. You've seen me reading it before. It's this really weird, not especially good looking webcomic. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he did one for a long time called The Accidental Space Spy, which was about a human who went up into space and just had comical misunderstandings about species that had dumb evolutionary things. Like a species of little snakes that didn't know how to lie to each other and they would kill anyone instantly if they thought they were lying. It was an evolutionary trait. Uh, they could. It was instinctual. If they heard what they thought was an untruth, they just murder. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it felt like that. This this felt straight up like that to me. Uh, but it goes on like that. There's some that are like, oh, we're kind of the space Scottish, or we're kind of you know, our whole thing is that we have a bunch of split up small dynastic factions that we all live in. So we're like the questing knights of old. And well, then there's a whole section of it that's basically, hey, did you play 40k? Well, yeah, because you get into Lyra's sector, you get the Aphalis, and they're basically the Galactic Senate. Mm -hmm. uh, their whole thing is they're like, ooh, we're, we're all about having clean streets, and uh, we are a, an elective republic, and we're all about politics and law and order. Yeah, they're order-driven. Uh we also get the uh, the what are they called the Sanctio Galactus or something the the church which yes. is basically just hey you know forty k all the humans have kind of a gothic Catholic church sort of thing what if that but stupid yeah so the the Sanctus Galactica is mm -hmm. the hey what if forty k yeah uh, I mean to the point where they're like okay well the spacefaring army is called the Sons of Adam the ground army is a bunch of chainsaw wielding nuns called the Virgin Inquisition yeah. It is. Yeah, okay. Uh -huh. Great. Yeah. Uh, at least it's not the humans. It's some other species that just happens to look exactly like humans, and they don't even mention who it is. Because they've moved beyond being just one species, and now they're a religion instead. Yeah. Now, once you get to the Vega sector, who baby? Okay. So, we start out with the Clag Brzezinghi. Yeah, Clag which have the Megatonian Empire. Clag Brzezinghi is a space station that is planet-sized. Uh, no one knows where the Megatonians came from in the first place, but they no longer live on a planet. They now live on a giant space station. And they have easily the longest write-up of any one species in the book. And, John, why don't you tell them why? Well, because this is the point where the author's politics come into play a little more than others. Because, you see... The Megatonians 
are hyper libertarian and of course this means they live in a utopia Mm -hmm. uh they value their own free will above everything else and they are willing to put up with pretty much any cultural differences unless they feel you are impinging on their ability to go about their daily life Mm -hmm. so while someone might come in and insult them they will simply say oh hey that's an insult don't do that but if someone sent them a spam email, they'll go to war over it. Yeah. They're the, they the hyper-libertarian culture. Also, they have all the very best technology because libertarianism leads to innovation, don't you know? Oh, yeah. They have the best tech in the galaxy. What they sell off as being obsolete tech is the still the leading tech anywhere else in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you manage to live on their planet, you find out it's a utopia right away where everyone's comfortable all the time as long as you don't try to steal from each other. Yeah, you get... As much as you want to eat, food is free, lodging is free, everything's fine, and so one of the highest crimes is stealing, because not only are you taking from someone else and stopping them from living whatever life they want to, but also, food is free, and if you stole food, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're only doing it to be a dick. What a lucky situation that libertarianism works in a society with a ridiculous surplus of uh, of basic necessities. Yeah. And just to drive it home, there is... Uh, an empire that was huge was like the Vertrix or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at one point they were like, ooh, we're going to take our entire like gigantic armada and we're going to try and fuck up the Magatonians. They only have three ships here. Mm-hmm. And then the Magatonians drove them back to their homeworld and destroyed their entire fleet. Like, oh, Okay. Sure. Yeah, because you don't fuck with these guys, and all their ships are so powerful, they don't need a lot of ships. Look, and so much is free to do here, so like, any sort of porn you want, you can get it here because it's not illegal, because everyone just takes care of their own selves. Yeah, it's such a weird thing where it it says it's libertarianism, and then it's like, oh, and everything's free, and I'm like, wait, wouldn't that part be like communism? Yeah, no, though. No, it's libertarians. Uh, wait but you're just saying that everyone's basic needs are met by the state like for free isn't that isn't that the the opposite of what you would want no No. (laughs) great Uh, they have two laws don't be a dick and don't steal food yeah and anything you want can be traded out in the open regardless of how illegal it might be in other places so if you want to sell ridiculous crazy drugs or a nuke or something you can do it there yeah but there's one commodity you can't ever sell and that's slaves because that's taking someone's freedom away and Mm -hmm. that's their whole thing the other thing they absolutely cannot stand is misleading advertisements uh so if they see a billboard that is misleading or a lie they will declare war on the species that did it yep so great it's it's like an entire race that is not only supposed to be there for hyper-competent libertarians, but also is like, hey, wouldn't it be great if you could murder telemarketers? This race does. Yeah. No, this whole race is basically your weird uncle on Reddit Yeah, as a race. Except, again, provided with so many bene- benefits and bonuses that their stupid philosophy actually works. Oh, yeah. Because the only way that they're, they're dumb, oh, I don't care about anything except myself, uh, system would, would operate is if food was free. And basic necessities and services were free. And what do you know they are? There's no mention made of how, like, farms get paid or anything. No. But there you go. They just have that. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the... 
God, in this sector is also Pornocon uh, and the Pleasure Bogs. Okay, so so these are both what you... Pornocon is exactly what you think it is. It's a big planet of porn and prostitution. Uh, and But hey now, don't worry. The ladies are in charge here because they're the ones who are in demand. And the men are all subservient. They just work for room and board and benefits. Mm-hmm. Now, the art that accompanies the planet Pornicon is an old-fashioned pimp. Yep. Uh, I mean, you know, the hat, the, the shoes. The, it's an yeah. old-fashioned old fashioned pimp. Now, this is kind of weird for a planet where the ladies are in charge, that there'd be a dude pimp there just sort of walking around all like, yes, I am Lord Fansington. Uh, I'm a, the pimp game is unusually strong within me. Like what? What do we? Do? What is he doing there? It's just. It's just. They thought. Well, it's Pornicon. Let's put a pimp on the in the in the book. Yeah, uh, it, it's a very weird idea. And of course, this leads into the idea that exists sort of throughout this, but we'll get much more into focus with a different race. But there's no gay or lesbian or anything people here because it is very clear. I mean, it starts with the Narksplosh. Well, I mentioned I, I made a lesbian joke around the Narksplosh. It does not mention that that the women who spend all their lives hating men also like each other at all. No, the they're the straight. Book, they're just involuntarily or they're voluntarily they, they celibate hate men, about it. But they yeah. have to fuck men. Yes, and with the pleasure bogs and Pornocon, everything is written about like, oh yeah, it's. Ladies have the power because dudes are the ones that want to have sex with them. And sometimes in the pleasure bogs, there's muscly dudes because the ladies can also get some there. Yeah, that was the part that really set me off. When Pornicon Planet was like, oh, the women are in charge. And I was like, that's fine. Presumably, they are also controlling the gay sex trade that must be happening here in huge amounts, right? I'm sure, that's fine. Uh, but it, it still doesn't make any sense. It's like the women are in charge, but also the whole planet is women walking around topless serving you drinks and rubbing your feet. Like, all right, well, fine. That's money exchange. That that sex trade is sex trade. It's all okay. Let's go over to the pleasure bogs. What's the difference? Well, the pleasure bogs also cater to women by and, having sexy dudes and technically have a family-friendly area. So by saying that, what they indicate is that the Pornocon planet does not cater to women in any capacity. So that means no lesbians are going there. Yeah, I, well, again, this book just sort of feels like Hey, that's not a thing that exists. Yeah, there's no gay people on this my This is like my world. old Star Wars yeah. where you weren't allowed to have gay people in it. When lesbians came in, that's only the MMO. Uh, when, when lesbians came into prominence, uh, or, or it's just, it's so dumb. It's so bad. They, they were just like, oops, we forgot to put gay people in here. But don't worry, they're going to overcourse correct real soon. Actually, you know what? We may as well just get to the Zerigians right now. Is it Zeringe or Zeridge? Zeridge. Okay, no the, N. Zeridians. The Zeridians are... Oh, man. I thought I was mad about the Narc Splashes. <laughs> I mean, I'll just go ahead and read the very first thing we get from Zeridians. Mm -hmm. The Zeridians are a race of interstellar cross-dressers who consider themselves the guardians of fashion. On their world, males are required by law to wear dresses, and women wear pants and shirts. The most dangerous thing to a Zerigian is bad fashion. Bad fashion physically hurts them as though they were a vampire standing in a ray of sunlight. Okay, so uh, let's break this down a little bit by a little bit. So what they're saying is that culturally all the men on the planet wear dresses and all the women wear pants. Uh, by a, law, that, actually. But not just cultural, but by law. So it's a it was originally a cultural thing that some... 
presumably very conservative Zerigian politician put into law to kind of enshrine uh, community value and get extra votes from his dumb sheep voters, right? But culturally, they always dress that way. So are they cross-dressers? No. No. In fact, the men love their dresses, and they will continually compare accessories and talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, yeah, we're, we're normally wearing something else and now we are cross-dressing they're like no man this is just what this planet does so let me ask you dumb fuck authors of this book what was the galactic standard that indicated that they're cross-dressers and not just people who wear dresses because uh, it would have to be earth. some sort of higher authority earth doesn't even get off planet they don't fucking matter just who who made the decision that men do you tell me that every single other species in your entire fucking stupid universe men wear uh, shirts and pants and women wear pretty dresses apparently mm-hmm. that's oh, but it's important that you know that all important functions on zerigia are performed by women they are the ones who really keep the infrastructure of zerigia functioning while the males nance about comparing sheer cut dresses and accessories also, there's a picture of a Zerigian male on the next page. Yes, indeed, uh, there is. As you can tell, the, the height of fashion would indicate that they are basically what Marge Simpson would dress like if it was 1961. Uh, they, it's just a woman in, a, in an A-line pink shitty dress. Uh, or I'm sorry, a, a dude, because there's no way that we're supposed to identify this person as a woman. That's a man in a dress. Also, they're in the bathroom. I don't know if that's a fraught issue or anything for anyone anywhere. Mm, mm. Uh, and also, they're very macho for a big dude in a dress, even though they're very busy combing their hair. They have a gun belt and, a, and an ammo uh, bandolier. Well, that's because all men have to serve in the military. Mm -hmm. They are required to sign up and serve for at least a, an amount of time in the military. Oh, well, do you think they're an effective military? Oh, well, goodness, no. These men are dancing about in their dresses. How could they ever possibly be effective at anything? Yeah. Well, what do they do? What's their military tactic? Well, the book helpfully lets us know that what they do is they fly up to other ships and then turn on a billboard that has fashion faux paws on it and then hope that that will scare away the other ship. Yeah, you see, because they are physically hurt by uh, bad fashion, they assume for some reason that everyone else is. While this tactic works on other Zerigian ships... It does nothing to any other species, and you would assume they'd know that, being that they are within the greater galactic confederation here. No, but every single opportunity we get from the Zerigians, all they do is confirm this stereotyping. Uh, there's another part of the book where we talk about like how there's five clans. They basically do a mech warrior joke. Well, yeah, there's an area of space where there's uh, gigums, which are just Tyranids. space bugs. They're just Tyranids, but stupid looking. and. They're a threatening to, you know, devour the galaxy threat. So there is the corner of space where they are coming in that has a last line of defense sort of thing. Which is, a, like I said, a completely a mech warrior joke because it's a bunch of robot mech pilot clans with and their names are all things like Clan Coyote and Clan Obsidian Raven. Uh, and then Clan Wraith Pony is half comprised of Zerigians and half comprised of these stalwart, body-hair-heavy, st Scottish-style, uh, I think they're called Archalesses Ar Ar or something like that. They're not an interesting species. Um, they might be the Mandragori, but again, it's the same thing. Not an interesting species. No. A a but here's the thing. The Mandragori spend most of their time in this robo-clan trying to stop the Jerigian soldiers from putting pretty dresses on the robots. Yeah. And the... 
Female Zerygians finance them, which makes them one of the few that actually has outside support, which is the only reason they're still around, because these Nancy males just can't cut it normally. You come across Crossdresser early in the book, when they're in the section that's describing the, the pre-gen spaceships you can buy. You see a section that's like, oh yeah, people, people will tell you that this ship's top, top of the line, but honestly, it's got a lot of flaws. It's like a random Zerygian crossdresser got in there and made some decisions. And you're like, oh, well, that's shitty. I, I don't know what that's about, but I, I sure do hope it's not an entire species of, of stereotype trans jokes. Yay! Oh, no, it is. It uh, certainly is. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, by the way, on the same page on the ship right before the cro- the crossdresser one, it says uh, this is it, it's the Starbat Mark II because the Starbat Mark One is a bad ship that idiots buy. Yeah, uh, and it goes the Starbat Mark II. The description goes on is the older, not retarded brother of the Starbat Mark One. Yay! More of that. <sighs> I've learned a lot of lessons since I started this show. Yep. Hmm. So that's the Zerygians. Uh, the the women hilariously are also crossdressers because they wear pants. Now I'm sure that much like you and I, John, most people in America have never seen a woman wearing pants. Well, yes, obviously that would mean that they were a crossdresser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean maybe they can wear some sort of complicated bloomer arrangement so that they might ride a velocipede to and from the market. <laughs> but. Uh, but but certainly they're going to have to have some sort of droppable pinafore over that so that they can preserve their modesty. Oh, yes. I mean, a lady in breeches? Mm. Heavens. <laughs> Somebody alert Joe Biden at once. He won't tolerate this form of malarkey. <laughs> uh, that was my favorite stupid thing to happen on Twitter the past few weeks, <laughs> that Biden has launched a no malarkey tour. You know what? I'm fine with it. It's okay with me if he wants to drive around in a bus that says no malarkey on it, as long as he works hard to shut down the industrial private Huskow compound. <laughs> there you go. There's mm-hmm. your joke. There's you my joke. It. I did it. You I got, got it in. I got to the joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, the <laughs> that's pretty much where the information ends is with the whole mech warrior joke nonsense Uh, well there's one more thing about the zerygians that's worth mentioning which i think is probably a little more damning than i think the book would have would have led us to believe Mm. it mentions that humans and zerygians are the only species in the galaxy that have pubic hair uh and in fact any body hair other than head hair uh they they go on to indicate that this is probably and there's several other in factors that would also corroborate this according to them that this is because zerygians have visited earth in the past and have uh, interbred to create some to, to add some Zerygian uh, details to our bloodline. Only Zerygians uh, get this probably interbred with humans a long time ago thing. Uh, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and say something that the book does not say, but that I think the book says, <laughs> which is that's why there's gay people and crossdressers on Earth. <laughs> I think. I, I think that's the intent that they were trying to get across, but they didn't actually say. I mean, they don't even hint at that in the book Mm -hmm. like there is no point where that is directed at all no but i mean i'm not gonna go to bat saying that this (laughs) book is like oh they would never because ooh, they would oh and let's also be very clear here i know i keep saying that these dudes are gay stereotypes and they are they have a lot of kind of queer stereotyping associated with them they're straight though oh yeah well because gay people don't exist yeah gay people don't exist these dudes are just you know straight but mincing yeah they're like actual they're like actual drag queens on or drag performers honestly like regular crossdressers 
uh, what's the word? That, what's the old word that no one says anymore? The one for that, the transvestites. There you go. That's the word. Uh, no one, no, you, you don't use it anymore because we have better words for it now. But effect, effectively, that's the joke they're making here. Yeah. And good lord, does it land with a wet, stupid thud? Yeah, man. Getting to the back half of this book was just painful. No, there's nothing good back here. I mean, there's a couple. Mostly, it's basically, hey, uh, what if the st- the space media property you like, but stupid now? So Gigums are Tyranids, except they look like big dumb idiots. Uh, you know, the Sancho- Sanctio Galactica is basically the 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 church from 40k, but stupid. Uh, Mech Warrior is basically the clan battling the, the Gigums, but stupid. Because their names are, oh, there's Wraith Pony, there's Ugly Ducks, Pot Marmot, Pot Marmot, because there's a whole planet, a whole ass planet of dudes who are freaky deaky high hippies. Yep. The there's streakites. the Streakites, and they're high all the time, and they sell their galactic weed. And- mm-hmm. God damn. Uh, the other one I thought was kind of fun to talk about because of how bad it is, is the Zakians. Now, the Zakians are a species that is constantly at war. They they split into fractious little clans, and they're so uh, suspicious of each other that any time any clan gets too much power, all the other ones will jump on them, and they'll split into more clans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they are obsessed with stealing from each other. So good technology comes out of them more or less on accident. Basically... Anything they invent on their planet gets turned into a fire-breathing weapon, is the way... They're basically like murder Ewoks, and we'll go on to say that, yes, they're a lot like murder Ewoks, because a freak accident of genetic anomalies in the Zakian homeworld culture made it so that any species on the planet could interbreed with any other species on the planet. And indeed they did. Everyone fucked and fucked all day long, because wouldn't you know it, Zakians are universally extraordinarily horny, because that seems to be a relatively common trait in this dirt universe. Yeah. Uh... So they all fucked all the dogs and turtles and everything on the planet until everybody was the same species, a sort of two-foot-tall murder beaver. Yeah. Uh, that is the thing that's left over at the end. They're all cannibals because they apparently taste pretty good, and they're the only species left, so what else are you going to eat? Uh, uh, yeah. Now, I mean, for a book that is trying to be sort of a comedy parody of sci-fi tropes, the whole, oh, it's whatever but stupid is pretty much what you're going to have when oh, you yeah. want to parody something. Well, we were just talking about this, that there's a difference between reference and parody. This is a lot of reference material where it's like, hey, you know 40K? Here's 40K, but dumb. Where it's like, dumb isn't really a good parody. It needs to, you need a slant in there, too, beyond just, it's the same thing you remember, but dumb now. Like, if it had been, oh, the 40K guys are, are, instead of being Catholic, they're some other religion. But they're still the same thing. It's just, what if we we took, say, for example, Judaism to a ludicrous, logical, gothic extreme? Yeah. But instead, it's just, what if 40K, but stupid? Uh, the, the problem I have with a lot of that as well is there's not really a joke in a lot of them. Yeah. They're just kind of like... Yeah, but what if there was porn here? I'm like, that's not a joke, my dude. I think one of the funnier things, and this is probably the last section we really need to get into before we get into the end of the book, is there's a section on a sample space station you can go to. Yeah. Uh, It's called No Subject, the space station, uh, in parentheses, uh, which I'm sure is some sort of joke. But there's a list of prices and stuff for the cargo that you can buy there, and the lowest end is things like, oh, like apples. But for some reason, black and white porn is listed as the low, one of the lowest rent cheap things you can buy, which is interesting to me because 
even here on Earth, we've proceeded to the point where black and white and color photography don't really have a reasonable difference in terms of like value. Yeah, no one's gonna. I charge mean, black you. and white is basically just like I hit a switch on a filter and yeah. now it's black and white. Black and white's an affectation. Yeah, it's not like it's the fifties and, and like eight percent of people have a TV and of them one percent of people have a color TV. Black and white's a thing you do if you want to apply some, uh, apply some prestige to your thing. Yeah, it's not like black and white porn is the cheap porn. That's that hasn't been the case since for forty years on Earth. <laughs> when in fact, when I first read it, I was like, black. Wait, are they saying that like, like uh, it, mixed race porn is the cheapest porn? That's weird. <laughs> It took me a second to reassess it and go, oh, no, they mean color tones. <laughs> yeah, it's... But let's keep going with the other things that are on this space station. Uh, the only one that's really worth talking about is the dude who sells Chinese noodles. God damn. This... Well, there's two, and we'll get to the one after the Chinese noodles. For a book that, f- to start with, is like, oh, yeah, uh, like, humans are the only place where you'll find like the like asian eyefold mm-hmm. thing and chinese is the only original earth language and mm-hmm. all of this stuff leading to oh yeah this is what an actual like non-influenced by the outside earthling might be is essentially someone from china the one point where we get Oh yeah, here's a place where someone is selling Chinese noodles. Oh, it's a white guy. Yeah, he uses the fake Chinese name No Chin, which no they know no one on the space station gets this joke. And I'm like, hey, I'm not in your fucking space station, and I don't get that joke either. It sounds like some racist bullshit to me. Well, you see, because he's so fat, he doesn't have a chin. Wouldn't he have several chins? No, because it's it's Isn't like his neck oldest? is is just connected to his chin, and now it's just one big lump. Isn't the oldest fat racist joke in the world a joke about Chinese people and chins? You dumb hacks. <laughs> okay, but his name isn't No Chin, really. It's Jacob Masterson. And if you try to buy anything that's not low-made noodles from him, he yells at you in a bad, fake Japanese accent. And he's like, you gaijin stupid. Why you no buy noodles? Wow, thanks, book. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. That's what I needed. That's that was that was definitely the cherry on top of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other thing that, that I thought was worth mentioning is that there is a local galactic church branch here, uh, the the Gothic forty k ish one that has to be by trick of galactic fate set up next to the local brothel. The brothel is called Romantic Encounters, and it's managed by a she pimp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did not know that there was a word for that, apparently. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a difference between she-pimps and madams. I do not know if there is. I, uh, I maybe do she's, not know. Maybe she's wearing the accoutrement of the classic 1970s pimp, uh, because obviously there's a photo of, or a picture of that in the book, so we know it exists in this space universe. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's not managed by a madam. It's managed by a she-pimp. Great wonderful isn't that the incredible pimp's cousin got her powers from a blood transfusion yes that you did it yeah okay i got the joke out there good who's gal you did it got a malarkey tight, tight five <laughs> <laughs> uh this book just just a real swift kick in the dick in this last half yeah the back half of the book it, it, it switches from oh this is kind of a neat mechanical thing i mean the 
the whole thing about what's a snarfhawker. Oh, it's you. If you have to ask, you'll never know. Eh, it's like a chode, but space. Yeah, I mean, a snarfhawker is basically anyone who goes by conventions of old sci-fi. So if you go, take me to your leader, there's no leader. We're all just out here in space. Boy, you're dumb. You're a dumb snarfhawker. If you, it's a bunch of like redneck jokes, basically. If you think that laser guns have supplanted the regular pistol, even though a pistol kills people just fine, you might be a snarfhawker. And I'm like, wouldn't lasers supplant the regular gun because they don't penetrate hull especially badly where bullets tend to poke holes in hulls really good? I mean, maybe that's just me. Yeah, well, I mean, planet side, you just be on a planet and shoot bullets at people. Sure, that that's fine. That makes perfect sense. Well, there you have it, John. That's. Uh, but why don't you tell me, however, what your favorite thing about this book is? And by the way, I'll just accept, you know, the first half. <laughs> I mean, the specific favorite thing in this book for me was the idea of everyone being their own ship. Mm-hmm. That is kind of cool. Yeah. I like the idea of you have a character that you are as the captain. So if you need to do, you know, some role-playing stuff or if you want to go down to a planet and, you know, muck around with whatever, then you're like, oh, okay, I do still have a character, but being in charge of an entire ship and everyone has their own ship means you don't have to worry too much about like, oh, I wanted to have a warship or whatever and, you know... This other player wants to have one that's more like a science vessel. Everyone can make whatever they think is cool mm-hmm. and fill it with whatever crew they want. Yep. And you had you can either try and be like cover all your bases and have a little bit of everything, go super heavy in one direction. You can work out with the rest of your party and you can take like the holy trinity of MMO roles. You can be like, I'll be tanking with my heavy armored ship while you guys fly around and try and blast them with super weapons. Yeah, you can try and do a lot of interesting things as far as like, oh, I'm going to fulfill a certain type of role. You can do something else. Yeah, uh, it's it, interesting. It's very interesting. I like the... You know, the crewman that you can have, you know, as essentially just powers yeah. that exist for you. Yeah, they're, they're whole resource sets. They come with their own uh, in it, or uh, tracking for in terms of, like, uh, costs, because it's like a CCG-inspired game. So they have stats, which they have to bend the, those stats to power maneuvers. So you've got, like, the equivalent of land and, and also abilities built into individual uh, discrete characters that live on your ship. Yeah, and I mean, it... It makes it interesting if you're like, here's a maneuver, it takes engineering three, I've got an engineering two and an engineering one, so I send a couple of crew to go do a thing, and I'm like, hey, fucking LaForge and Data, go fix a thing. Yeah, no, that's, it's, that's it's, great. It's, it's cool. And in fact, I'm going to say my favorite thing in the book is the CCG and inspiration stuff to it, because I feel like there need to be more role-playing games that take their... There was a brief lurch towards this in the mid-2000s, but they did it the wrong way of making games kind of CCG-inspired or derived, where they were like, well, we'll have random packs of booster cards you can buy for your Dungeons & Dragons and Gamma World games. Look, there's random treasure in these packs. No, don't do that. Don't do that. That's the wrong way to do this. I know you... I know fir- everyone f- looks at microtransactions uh-huh. and begins salivating. That was the whole thing. That was just dollar signs in eyes, and that's bad. But a game that in- in- incorporates LCG and CCG-style mechanics on cards is very interesting to me in this case it doesn't even use cards it just sort of takes the mechanics and has them on a sheet but 
card derived role playing is a thing that can definitely happen and should happen more often. Well, yeah, for anyone out there who wants a crunchy game, having these discrete abilities and things that you can build mm -hmm. means all of those people that are like, oh, I just love crunch. I love mixing and matching. You've got that. It'll scratch the itch for both the optimizer and the role player who's like, oh, I have a specific idea for my ship in mind and the crew I want to have. Yep. Uh, there's also before, just like in fourth edition D and D where people didn't like the discrete power distinction because they thought it made the characters too samey and that they, they thought you couldn't improvise in that game because there wasn't a rule for it. There's a rule for it in fourth edition D and D. It was on, I think page 42 of the DMG in, uh, in this game, it's just called the cat, the captain's power or something like that. And it's just, oh, if you need to do something that's not on any one of your other powers or cards or something, roll this and tell your DM what you're trying to do and he'll help you. Yeah, just be like, hey, I wanted to do this. Uh, all right, we'll figure out what that actually means. Uh-huh. Great. So it's in there. It's that simple, and it always has been. It's like, if you want to improvise, fucking improvise. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But the LCG mechanics, I thought, were inspired, and I was a huge fan. But that, John, does bring me around to a far more interesting question, if you're ready for it. Oh, of course I am. How you doing? Oh, great. Okay, great. And also, what's the worst thing about this game? Uh, God. Okay, I'm going to take it to one thing, and... For me, it definitely is going to be the Narcs Blosh, specifically because it is the literal first thing yep. in the entire... Uh, it like, leads the charge. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay, it's time to really get into the fluff. The very first thing you see is, these are rape monsters. And you're like, oh, what? <laughs> I just read half a book that I thought was interesting. And then you're like, hey, let me just get this right out in front. Rape tentacle monsters. It's not going to get better. Yeah. You're like, oh, thanks. <laughs> Great. Well, the first thing we got to establish is that the males of the species are rape monsters. The females are vagina prizes that you can try to win. <laughs> yeah. You can put kindness tokens in there, and then eventually sex falls out. Ah. Yeah, no, the, the fact that that is the very first thing you come across was just like, oh, I don't want to keep reading this now, and I have to. And you made it be the first thing. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, there's other things in this that are also awful, but the fact that you have to run into that first makes mm -hmm. it the worst for me. Yeah, and I'm kind of torn, because as much as I want to uh, rag on this guy more for the dumb uh, the Virigians, which are horrible, yes. absolutely, I also kind of want to lambast him for giving me four pages of his stupid uh, libertarian wank-off festival. Uh, yeah, anytime you see a uh an entry in here and some of them are like here's a planet it has two paragraphs you're like okay you didn't actually give a shit you maybe had one throwaway joke you wanted to do okay and then you see some where you're like oh this is a multi-page thing all right this is something you as a person care about so lay I think it I could, on me honestly i could think i could wrap all all three of the things i hate the most about this game up into politics the fact that gay people don't seem to exist, the, the libertarian wank festival, the cross-dressing jokes, all basically are this guy, le the, the authors of this book basically being like, hey, here's our whole entire ass. Yeah. Let's just put this ass out here. Yeah. I want to make sure everyone sees all my ass. Ugh. The top part of the ass, the gross middle thing. The gross middle all thing. All the trench. All the ass. Uh, the under ass. Yeah. Get some nice, tasteful side ass. 
Yeah, no, it, it, all of those things are super ridiculous bad. And you know what? Honestly, if I wanted to read a game with libertarian space training wheels where all the actual problems with libertarianism are hand-waved away because of space magic, I just read Hook Sunt Dracones. I don't need another one. Yeah, especially not in a supposed-to-be-tongue-in-cheek like joke area where they're like, oh, and by the way, yeah, I know every single species I've mentioned so far has been a stupid joke and they're bad and dumb, mm-hmm. but uh, here's the one race that's amazing and it's because libertarianism anyway. And I'm like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't, if you're going to make a stupid joke thing where everyone sucks, make everyone suck. Don't make it be like, oh, and then the one people that follow the thing I like are good. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's dumb trash. John, would you play this game? Oh, good Lord, no. When I was reading the first half, I was... And I was actually thinking, oh, I might actually say yes to the what I play this. Mm-hmm. This has some interesting mechanics to it. And now I don't want to touch this book because it's grody. Yep, that's exactly how I felt. When I was reading through the first half, I was like, oh, hey, I can play this. I love the kind of Rebel Galaxy feel to it where you're like, I'm playing a Fringer because spaceships are cheap in this galaxy. And I just go between d- dimension or, or planets and I'm trading stuff and I'm fighting off pirates and I got to think about like like docking fees and all this other kind of interesting stuff. But then you get to the back, you're like, oh, no, this ain't it. This ain't it, son. You done <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, and the same thing. I was like, oh, this really is scratching that crunchy game where you get to really get your hands dirty with making all the various yep. bits and parts flow together in a certain way. The cool CCG mechanics, all that stuff. It's like, wow, this is a really delicious chicken sandwich. Who did you say makes this chicken sandwich? <laughs> The Nazis. Oh, oh, never. You know what? They, I, it's not. I it's don't. It's not. Worth I it. don't need a chicken sandwich, Chick Fil A bad. <laughs> no, the the uh, the book is something where I look at it and go, man, I really wish you hadn't done that. Someone would have taken this system and been like, hey guys, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just take this from you and do anything else with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the the mechanic that came the the uh, the stack roll that was smart, bending your your uh, engineers characters on your ship having stats so you don't have to have stats. All of that is super smart. And then the landing is they didn't just not stick the landing; they broke both le- both legs and then insulted a nearby gay person. Yeah, it's bad. It's yeah. real bad. It's it's bad. So there you have it. That's the game. I do do, do not, not rec- start hugs. Do not re- <laughs> don't do it. I don't want to start hugs with star thugs. Nope. Yeah. <sighs> Or, as I like to say, Starth Uggs. Well. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, that's the game. Now, uh, as always, we are going to go forth and make characters in it anyway, even though we find it morally reprehensible. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to do my best to, I, I assume, make a character that gives a middle finger to this entire setting. That's pretty much what we always do in these situations. When the game is gross, we make non-gross characters. Yeah. Uh, that's what Helga the Punch Witch was. Yeah, it's, hey, this is a gross setting. Let me make something that hates your gross setting. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you want to find that bonus content and hang out with us in a world of make-believe and dragons, uh, then all you have to do is go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash systemmastery. You know, when it's a world of make-believe and dragons, I think you're implying that dragons are not make-believe. Hmm, that's an interesting... Well, you know what? They're not, because there are several species on Earth that are called dragons or have dragons in the Latin title. Eh, well, they're bearded. Mm-hmm. You got bearded dragons, you got Komodo dragons, you got uh, 
the Draco lizards, which are little flying guys found in Bor- gliding guys found in Borneo. Uh, there's uh, uh, weedy sea dragons. There are all numbers of dragons, and I maintain that they definitely exist. So many dragons. Plus the E key, I think it's called, which was a was basically a, a dragon uh, body plan that was a, a kind of reptilian dinosaur in mm. China. It basically literally looks like a dragon, like a wyvern, more or less. Neat. It was, you don't hear much about it because there's only like one fossil and China has it. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, we're, uh, we're on Patreon. Go there. Don't let me go off on a wild tangent about archaeology. So, yeah, you can go to patreon.com slash system mastery. Support us at any level and you will unlock our bonus content here. Mm-hmm. There is, of course, other levels, much more to unlock, much more to love, and isn't this the season of giving and why not us give money? A, yeah, <laughs> give us money and give your friends our book because it comes out today, the day this episode releases. Look, there's so much time right now for you to buy our book and get it in time for the holidays. And notably, this will be the last day that you're able to buy it and get the perks for pre-ordering it. December 3rd was my cutoff date for that. So if you buy it the day you hear this episode, if you go on Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble, wherever fine books are sold, and buy a copy of A Dragon Walks Into a Bar a book of jokes by Jeff and John, then you can still get the purple text on Discord and add to our collected bonus content that we will be making. Because for each person who pre-orders the book, we will say one thing we hate about Dungeons & Dragons in a special episode. Yeah, and how to fix it. And how to fix it. Damn it, I forgot we had to do that too. Yeah, we also have to fix the game. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that Wizards of the Coast will listen to the episode and make the changes accordingly. Oh, I'm sure. If there's one thing we know about modern Wizards of the Coast is that they're not lazy in coasting. (laughs) They are definitely not just trying to sail on whatever goodwill a YouTube show can give them. Uh-huh. <laughs> they are definitely not coasting on the success of far more famous voice actors. Definitely not. Nope. No one's doing that. There's definitely not a terrible thumb in a polo shirt who runs things and should be fired. Oh, should have been fired a long time ago. Yeah. Instead of just being told not to tweet anymore. <laughs> We got things to say. Oh, there'll be a great. There's a lot of stuff to dislike about. Now, I know it definitely specifically, it's not just Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, because otherwise we, there's like I think it's eighty or ninety of these already. We need to branch out. I need a lot of space to say things. Oh yeah, I need a room to really stretch out, get my legs going. Yeah, so there Start you have kicking. it. Kicking once again. That's our book. A dragon walks into a bar. You can buy it anywhere books are sold, and let us know you did it, and we'll give you some bonuses. Thank you. Uh, otherwise. You can support us at Patreon, or you can visit our website, SystemMasteryPodcast.com. Rate and review our shows on iTunes and Stitcher. Do what you want to do. Hey, man, do it. Did you know we're on the One Shot Network? There's so many great other shows on there. Yeah. Listen to them, like Arms of the Tide that I'm on. Yeah, John's on Arms of the Tide, which is an a, a, uh, actual play podcast set in a magical world of robots and plants, I think. <laughs> I mean, hey, you're closer than I thought you would be. <laughs> It's a great revolutionary tale. If you love fighting against the man mm-hmm. and being underdogs against a monolithic corporation, then boy, howdy, this is the thing for you. Yeah. Check out any one of the other fine shows on the One Shot Network. We, uh, we are proud to be a part of the, shi- uh, of the ship. Yeah. We're, mm-hmm. we're part of the ship. We're the mast. We're the, we're, we're the best part of the ship, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, the, we're the best part of the ship. The mermaid titties. <laughs> The Mermaid Titties of the One Shot Network. Excuse me, I have a shirt to design. Uh, Thank you for listening, and have a good week.